Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Amen. Be seated. Good to see you this morning. Good to see you. Man, that is good stuff. That is good stuff. Uh, I tell you, I could listen to that all day. And uh, there's, uh, there's a great playlist on my devices that I listen to that includes songs like that to remind me how great God is. And uh, I think I told you last week, I, I get up every Sunday morning and blare music in my house because it's about worship. And I get my heart set to worship the Lord. So as we begin this morning, um, let me ask you a question. What would it be like if we lost power indefinitely? I want you to think about that. You know, when we lose power, I don't know about you at your house, we lose power at our house. You know, it's like, oh man, can't get online. You know, it's like, you know, you can't use a computer and you can't watch TV. You know, it's, it's, uh terrible, isn't it? To live in the dark. For sure, you know, think about if we lost power, nights would seem much longer, wouldn't they? You know, think about this, the heat would seem much hotter. (laughs) I tell you, if I didn't have air conditioning living in South Alabama, I don't know that I could sleep at night. Um, We like it cold in our house and our power bill shows it. Um, (laughs) But think about this, work would seem much harder, wouldn't it? Uh, can you imagine having to go back to pen and paper at most of our jobs? Uh, that'd be kind of hard, wouldn't it? I've gotten so used to typing my sermons out and uh, using an iPad to preach. I couldn't imagine how to have flipping my, like I used to do when I was in Bible college and seminary. You can only preach from index cards. So you have to flip your index cards, you know. So uh, I'm thankful for an iPad I get to use. But the question I really want to ask this morning is not just what would it be like without power, but I wonder... I wonder if you would begin in your mind to think right now, what would it be like to have church without the Holy Spirit? And I, and I wonder, I wonder, do we even really know what that would be like? I came across this convicting quote by A.W. Tozer. Listen to what he says. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we would do or what would go on, excuse me, he says, no one would ever know the difference. It's convicting. The flip side of that, he says, if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 90%, 95%, excuse me, of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. That's convicting. You know why it's convicting? Because I've fallen into this. I've fallen into this. Uh, The modern church, you know what we're more concerned about? We're more concerned about filling pews than seeing that the men that sit on those pews are filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow. Think about that. We're more concerned about filling pews. So what happens is we, uh, we get involved with uh, church uh, growth principles and we, we look at what the world is doing. We try to mimic some of that in the church and, and we forget the warning of Samuel Chadwick Listen to what Samuel Chagwis said. He says, confusion and impotence are the inevitable results when the wisdom and resources of the world 
are substituted for the presence and power of the Spirit. Don't misunderstand where I'm going this morning because we, we, we need to draw out church growth principles, but they need to be drawn from the Scripture. But where we run into problems is when we, we really begin to push God aside and when we begin to not listen to the Spirit of God and we care more about playing a, a secular song, has nothing to do with God, has nothing to do with Jesus, to open up our worship services rather than songs that exalt and honor God. Oh yeah, there's churches that do it. There's churches that will open up a, a worship service with a, a song from ACDC or other rock bands or other songs that are not Christian songs. And I got a problem with that. I don't think that's why we've gathered this morning. I don't think that's why we're, we're here. We're here to, as Christians, to exalt and honor God, to, to lift him up, to be full of the Holy Spirit of God, that we would be changed in the process of worship. And I pray that's what's, what's going to happen. You know, my, my hope is that you will be stirred in your hearts to want more, to want what's lacking. Do you ever feel that? Do you ever feel, God, is there more? Is there something that's lacking? What well, can I tell you? I think sometimes what's lacking is the presence and the power of the Spirit of God resting on his church and being here this morning. And so what I want to talk about this morning is Jesus is building his church. And the first thing that Jesus does in his church, before he can do any building, is he empowers the church. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Jesus empowering his church. And how does he do that? Let me just give it up front. By filling us with the Holy Spirit. But we don't really understand what that means. Christians today confuse this idea of the baptism of the Spirit with the filling of the Spirit. The, the baptism of the Spirit is that, that time by which it happens a one-time event, and it happens at the moment of our salvation. It is by which the Holy Spirit of God, what he does is he, he baptizes us, and really it's not even him doing the baptizing. If you really understand the scriptures in Mark 1, 8, John the Baptist is speaking and he's saying that, that he's baptizing with water, but there's going to be this one who would come. And notice what he says in the screen there. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is not the water, but it's the Holy Spirit who baptizes us, and Jesus is the baptizing uh, or baptizer. He is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. It's at the moment of our salvation, a one-time act, and what it does is, it is by which the Holy Spirit unites us to Jesus Christ and to his body, the church. One time, uniting us in Christ and his church. This, ladies and gentlemen, is what makes us one. The baptism of the Spirit. Paul sort of explains it for us in 1 Corinthians 12. Listen to his words. He says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. He goes on, For by one Spirit, here it is, we were all baptized, what? Into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit is by which he makes us part of Jesus 
and unites us to the body of Christ. You and I today, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, are one because of this baptism by which Jesus baptized us in the Spirit. Isn't that pretty awesome? We, we have this commonality. We have this union based on one person, the Holy Spirit of God, who makes us one. It's pretty, pretty amazing that he would do that. And the thing about the baptism of the Spirit, we know it's not a, an ongoing command because we're never commanded to seek to be baptized in the Spirit. It is a sovereign work of God by which when he saves us, he baptizes us and makes us part of the body of Christ and part of one another. But the filling of the Spirit that I'm going to talk about this morning is a little different. The filling of the Spirit is much different in the sense that we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit is, is that by which, when you begin to think about the filling of the Spirit, and it is that by which the Holy Spirit controls us. Now listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 5.18. He says, And do not be drunk with wine, which is in excess or dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. It's an ongoing process. The, the words that Paul is using is, is continue to be filled. It is that, that the process by which we constantly are seeking for the Holy Spirit to have control over our lives, to, to do something in and through us that only He can do, that, that we can't do on our own. Amen? To preach, to minister, to live a godly lifestyle. I cannot do it without the power of the Holy Spirit inside me, without Him filling me. And we know it's an ongoing work because what we see in the book of Acts as we read the book of Acts as the church is beginning to grow, as Jesus is building the church, we see his apostles being filled with the, the Holy Spirit there at Pentecost and Peter gets up and preaches and then you switch over to chapter 3, you see again they're filled with the Spirit. You see chapter 4, again they're filled with the Spirit. You see chapter 5, again it says they're filled with the Spirit. Constantly, ongoing, the Spirit of God is filling his people in the book of Acts in order that they could grow this church that Jesus wants once grown. It's an amazing story of how the Spirit of God is moving among God's people. And I long for that for us. I long for my own life, for God to fill me. My prayer has been for the past two days and this morning, all morning, has been God so fill me with the Spirit. I want the Spirit of God to control me. And that's what Paul is saying. When someone is drunk, they're being controlled by alcohol. Paul says, don't be drunk. <laughs> be filled. Let the Spirit of God control you. I like the way John MacArthur explains this word control. Listen to what he says. He said, the Christian who is filled with the Holy Spirit, he says, can be compared to a glove. Until it is filled by a hand, a glove is powerless and useless. It is designed to do work but it can do no work by itself. It works only as the hand controls and uses it. The gloves only work in the hands that work. Or excuse me, the gloves only work in the hand's work. It does not ask the hand to give it an assignment and then try to complete the assignment without the hand. Isn't that powerful? We are a glove and God wants us and he has designed us to work. If you are saved this morning, if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2.10, we preached that long ago, reminds us we are created in Christ Jesus for good work. We are the glove. The Spirit of God is the hand. God, would you come into my life and control me? Would you do that?
so that I can minister, so that I can serve others, so that I can live a holy life that pleases you. Because without the Spirit, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. And so this morning, we want to talk about this empowerment that Jesus does for his church. And, and we see it in Acts chapter 1. And we're only going to have time to look at one verse this morning. But notice in the text, I want to read the whole context and then I'll pick out the verse that we're going to, to preach today. But notice beginning in verse 1 of Acts 1. He said, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day in which he was taken up, that's the ascension, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proof. He says, uh, being seen by them during, uh, during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He's setting up the story. It's, it's Luke and he's setting up the story for Theophilus. He's already given them the gospel of Luke. Now he's given them a, a, a historical account after Jesus ascends. What then? Well, there's the church. Jesus is still moving. Jesus is still working. Jesus is still empowering his people. And he's doing that for the, the kingdom's sake. And so he's going to write to him an account of how Jesus is continuing to build his church. How Jesus is going to continue to move through his people. The baton has been passed to us. We are the ones who are now in the race. We're the ones who are supposed to be running and competing with the rules. And with the eyes on Jesus. Amen. That we would win the race. And he says, this Jesus, who I told you in the Gospels was crucified, is he who is alive. And for 40 days, he spent time with his men. And in that time, he told them everything they needed to know. And he's going to empower them to accomplish what he's told them to do. And it's going to be 10 days later, we know Pentecost is going to come. And so here, Luke begins to give us an account. And he goes on in verse 4. And listen to what he says. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. That's the Holy Spirit going to come. John 16. He says, for John truly baptizes with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That is, the Holy Spirit was going to come, and he was going to unite them to Jesus Christ in all of his glory, and then he was going to unite them together as a body of Christ, and the Spirit of God would come and live and reside inside them. And he says, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And now we're always worried about, Jesus, when are you coming? When are you going to set up your kingdom. When are you going to be here to come get me? We're preoccupied with that sometimes. And Jesus says to them, and it is not for you to know times and seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world. So notice as Jesus is beginning to build his church, the very first thing that he does in the first half of verse 8 is this. He gives them power. We cannot grow the church with man-made principles. Let me tell you what God is looking for in a church. He's not looking for more education. He doesn't need a PhD standing behind the pulpit to preach. After all, the greatest message ever preached, the most fire that was ever caught, was through men who were fishermen, 
non-professionals, not clergy. God doesn't need smarter men. God doesn't need better methods. <laughs> we don't think that we can outsmart God. We can, go to the, we can have our own method thing. We're going to outsmart God. We're going to make the church grow because we got these man-made principles and we're smarter than God. And so this is what we're going to do. No, that's not what God needs. We don't need more church growth principles. We don't need more evangelism training. No, I, I submit to you, the power of my message today is this. The church needs Holy Spirit power. Sometimes we're like a car. We look pretty. We're painted well. We got nice tires, beautiful interior, XM radio. We got air conditioning. We got all the leather seats, seat warmers. We got everything we need except for we lack an engine. When you lack an engine in a car, it goes nowhere. <laughs> Looks good, but has no power. Sometimes the church is that way. We look good. We look at churches and they're growing. There's a lot of people coming. And we think, well, they got a lot of people coming. It must be a Holy Ghost on fire revival church. No, not necessarily. I, I, I'll submit to you that I think as time grows, as the days grow longer, and Jesus is soon to come. I promise you, the church is going to decline. It's not going to grow. Because people are going to want truth. And truth is not popular in this age, I'm here to tell you. Nobody wants truth. What they want is to be told they look good, they feel good, you're beautiful, your best life is now. That's what they want. But I'm here to tell you right now, if you're not spirit-filled, if you're not controlled by the Holy Spirit of God, I don't care what you have you're not going to accomplish anything for him. Nothing good is going to come because the Holy Spirit, listen to me, the Holy Spirit is what gives us our authority. The Holy Spirit is what gives us our power. And the Holy Spirit is what gives us the ability to accomplish anything for the Lord. And what I want to do is I want to just talk about three things this morning and then I'll be done, I promise. Three things that the Holy Spirit does in us and through us as a church. And I pray that your desire is to say, God, at the end of the service, your, your prayer to God would be, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. So what does he give us the power and the authority and the ability to do? First of all, to be witnesses. That's, that's the whole priority of the church. Did you catch it in Acts 1-8? Jesus said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. What is the priority of the church? The priority of the church is not to come together, eat peanuts, and have a good time. Now, that's good to do. And we ought to do that because it builds fellowship. It builds continuity. It helps us to be brothers and sisters in Christ. But the priority of the church is to tell the blessed good news of Jesus Christ. To tell people that, yes, you're lost in sin, but there's a Savior who saves. And he's full of grace and he's full of mercy. He's full of love and full of compassion. And if you will but surrender your life to him, he will redeem you and save you and make you part of his family. That's the good news. And that's the priority. Not only of the church, that's the priority of every believer in Jesus Christ. Is to share the good news. Look at Peter. Peter was this guy who was afraid. They, they, they confronted Peter. Aren't you one of them? No, no, not me, not me. Aren't you one of them? Come on now, I'm not, I have no association with him. Aren't you one of them? Bleep, 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 bleep. I'm not part of him. And he cusses and 
He denies Jesus to save his own skin. The Holy Spirit of God fills him at Pentecost. And they said, oh, those guys are drunk. And Peter stands up and he preaches one of the most powerful gospel messages ever preached to a Jewish nation. And 3,000 people get saved. Was he shrinking back when he preached Jesus? No. Why? Because he was full of the Holy Spirit. And could it be, ladies and gentlemen, could it just be that the church that is not baptizing people, could it be that the Christians who are not sharing the gospel and we're not seeing people move to faith in Christ is because we lack a filling of the Spirit of God in our lives? That's convicting. That's convicting. What we've done, we've become too much like salesmen trying to sell our church rather than gospel preachers preaching Jesus. And could it be, could it be, it gets worse, could it be that we're seeing a lack of baptisms and a lack of witnessing and salvations in our church because we're not witnessing at all? And by the way, not witnessing at all is proof and evidence that we are not filled with the Spirit. Because what is the Spirit's job? The Spirit's job is to point to Jesus every time. The Spirit's job in and through us is to empower us that we would share the gospel with lost people. And the Spirit, when we share the gospel, listen, here's what the Spirit does. He bears witnesses with that truth of the gospel. And when he bears witness with the truth of the gospel, what happens? It convicts men of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Amen? Will every person get saved under that conviction? No, they won't. But none will be convicted if we keep, keep silent. None will ever come to faith in Christ if we never tell the message. Amen? Now, my message is not about evangelism this morning. It's about the Holy Spirit. But it's the evidence, folks. It is, it is telling me in my life, when I am not witnessing to people, when I'm not sharing the gospel, it is saying that Mike is full of himself, not the Spirit. Because when the Spirit is in me, I don't have to ask. I don't have to pray. God, give me opportunity to share the gospel today. Because the Holy Spirit's going to lead me. The Holy Spirit's going to guide me to the people who need to hear the gospel today. Amen? Folks, have you even heard of this Holy Spirit that I'm talking about this morning? Listen, we lack spiritual power in our evangelistic efforts, even when we do share the gospel, sometimes because, again, not that we lack the Holy Spirit, but sometimes because we have quenched or grieved the Spirit. How dare us go out into the world and tell the world about the love and the mercy and the grace and the kindness of Jesus Christ when all we do is gossip in the church? How dare us try to go and make a difference as a light in the world when all we do is allow sexual sin to run rampant in the church? How dare us go out into the world and try to teach people about this merciful God who redeems from all things when we allow anger to run in our hearts in the church? I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. Listen to me. Listen. This is revival preaching I'm telling you this morning. If we want revival at First Baptist Church Level Plains, if I want revival in Mike Foreman's heart, then it's going to begin by getting full of the Holy Ghost. And when I get full of the Holy Ghost and you get full of the Holy Ghost, let me tell you what's going to happen. We're going to repent and we're going to get right with God. And then you know what's going to result? You know what always happens when revival hits? People get saved. Always. But revival never comes if people are not full of the Spirit and people are not willing to repent. I'm preaching to myself this morning. I've looked in the mirror long and hard this week. Don't think that the last week and this week's messages are easy. They're not easy. It's not like I go here, oh, I hope they heard that today. Now I'm saying, God, speak to me. 
with fear and trembling. I've never shook so much preaching from last week and this week. I told Tim last week, when I, I was so exhausted last week. I knew it was a hard message. I was so exhausted. I'm so exhausted now. I'm, I'm, I'm shaking. Lord, please do something in my life. I, don't, I want to be like what Paul says. I don't want to have preached to others and then find that I've run in vain myself. See, what we do is we quench and we grieve the Spirit. What's the difference? Well, when we grieve the Spirit, that's when we fall into sin. When we fall into sin, we grieve the Spirit. Paul says in Ephesians 4.30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What is he saying there? If you go and read the context of chapter 5, right before that, or excuse me, chapter 4, right before that, you'll find out that it's sin. When we sin, we grieve the Spirit. That is, we break His heart. Because what does sin do? Sin breaks the heart of God. God delivered us from sin. God delivered us from being slaves to sin. And now he wants you and I to live sin free. Now, that doesn't mean it's always going to be the case. Paul said, Romans 7, why is the very things I wish to do, I don't do. The very things I hate, I find myself doing. There is a struggle in our flesh. So there are going to be times where we're going to sin. We'll never reach perfection until we get to heaven. But listen, that's no excuse for me to sin. Amen? That doesn't mean I can just go run out there and go, well, I can't help myself. I'm in the flesh. No, dummy. You can't help yourself. Amen? You really can. I can decide on my diet that I'm in. I can decide I'm going to go and I'm going to eat a large pizza because that's what I want. I want a large pizza. I can say, I just can't control myself. Yes, you can. Don't go to the pizza parlor. Amen? That's what we call it at home, by the way, is a pizza parlor. (laughs) New York. So we grieve the Holy Spirit by our sin. And we think our private sins never hurt anyone. Oh, my friend, the Holy Spirit is grieved. The heart of God is grieved when you and I fall into sin. And that ought to make sin even uglier. But not only do, listen, not only do we quench or grieve the Spirit, but we quench the Spirit. Now, when we talk about this quenching of the Spirit, it's best understood in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Listen to what it says. Do not quench the Spirit. The word again means stop quenching the Spirit. It's like don't ever quench the Spirit. You don't want to live in a perpetual state of quenching the Spirit. There's going to be times it's going to happen because you're going to fall into sin, but we shouldn't quench the Spirit. That word quench, here's what it means. It has the idea of smothering out or the idea of stifling the power of something. So here, here's what it is. When you and I are grieving the Spirit, He's crying. He's saddened. When we quench the Spirit, we're putting a wet blanket over a fire that wants to consume us and use us. And so we're stifling the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's why, listen, that's why we have ineffective preaching. That's why we have ineffective Sunday school lessons. That's why we have ineffective evangelism. Is because what we've done is by our sin, by our lack of obedience... We have grieved the Spirit of God, but then most importantly, we've quenched His work in our life. You with me? I know I have in my times. The Holy Spirit of God's not going to use preachers that are in sin. And I don't care how small the sin may be, He's not going to use you. And He's not going to use believers. He's not going to use you. And what happens is... The Holy Spirit of God in your life keeps you from being effective in ministry. But here's the other thing. You become ineffective in your spiritual growth. You don't grow in Christ anymore. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the one who who enables us. He's the one that that equips us to grow in Christ. Remember, he's the one that brings back to remembrance all that Jesus taught us. He's the one that comforts us. He's the one who guides us. He, He, the Holy Spirit, is the one who does his work in and through us. And if we quench him, 
then we're doomed to be ineffective. And unfortunately, I think many of us find ourselves there and we're asking God to do something different today. We're asking God to fill us with the Spirit. Because remember, it's by his authority, it's by his power, and by his ability that I can be the witness I need to be. But listen, secondly, secondly, that I can serve Jesus like I need to serve Jesus. I don't know about you, I want to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I want to be his slave. I want to do what he wants me to do. And remember I said, according to Ephesians 2.10, we're already created for good works. God has already got the works prepared. It's a sovereign plan of God. When he saved you, he already had a path, a plan. He already had works for you to do. Now, some of those works are common to all of us, right? Evangelism, you know, participating in the, in the body of Christ. We, we all have those common works. But then there may be some specifics. God called me out of the body to be the, the spiritual leader, the pastor. I didn't ask for that. He decided that's what he wanted to do. Ask, ask my brother. There's better jobs out there sometimes, isn't there? It's a great responsibility to stand up and preach and to lead people spiritually. You don't ever want to be the blind leading the blind, amen? And so the Holy Spirit, he helps us to be empowered and enabled in order that I may serve Christ. And how do I best serve Christ? Listen, I best serve Christ when I'm serving others. Amen? It's simple. Marina, I was out working in the, the yard. And by the way, all those who drive past my house and you saw my, my crazy bushes that were, you know, overgrown and looking pretty bad. You'll probably be pleased as you ride by. They're, they're boxed out now. They look like boxwoods and they're all boxed out. And I worked on that all day. And, but I was thirsty. And so I knocked on the door and asked Marina if she'd give me some water. I didn't want to go in her house dirty. So uh, she'd come to the door and she's like, I don't know if I ought to give this to you or not. I'm like, well, you know, Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water <laughs> in his name, you've done it to him. That's how I serve Jesus. I give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. Amen. I reach out to people. I love people. Listen, serving Jesus is about serving others. It's about people. Don't ever forget that. Serving Jesus is never about being on a platform. Serving Jesus is never about me. It should never be about you. Serving Jesus should always be about him and others. And so we ought to serve Jesus. And without the Holy Spirit, listen, without the Holy Spirit, I'll get that out of control and it'll become about me. And then what'll happen? I'll do those works according to 1 Corinthians 3. I'll do those works that are wood, hay, and stubble and it'll get burned up at judgment day and I'll regret the, the loss of reward. <laughs> but when I serve Jesus by serving others, then I can do those works that are gold and silver and precious metals that will survive the judgment fire and I'll have reward. That's pretty simple, isn't it? It's not complicated. So the Holy Spirit helps us to witness. He helps us to, to be servants for Jesus. And then lastly, the Holy Spirit, not only does he give us that authority and power and the ability to do those two things, but lastly, and I've already been mentioned, I won't preach long, and that is to grow spiritually, to be spiritually mature. Do you desire in your life to have less fear, more joy? Do you desire to be less afraid of people and more in love with Jesus? Do you desire to experience more of the love of Christ than you've ever experienced in your life? Then you have to be full of the Spirit. Without it, you're not going to experience those things. 
because it's the Holy Spirit who grows us. We never will be spiritually mature without his aid. So what does he do? How does he help us grow? Let me give you four things. And you're going to write these verses on the side of your margin because I don't have time to read all these verses. And I'm not going to, but there's a list for you. Study them. Those five things. Let me just give them to you. First of all, he enables me to pray. He enables me to pray. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're in my prayers. As a matter of fact, he's so much in my prayers. The Bible says he prays for me with utterance beyond words. He helps me to understand the Bible. Aren't you glad? He helps us to understand the word of God. John 16, Jesus said he'll bring to remembrance all things that I've taught you. He's also the one who illuminates the truth of the Bible as we go through. He guides me, Romans 8, 14. He's a guide who guides me. Thank God that he is a guide, amen? He leads me. And then he gives me assurance. You ever start doubting that you're a believer, begin to pray, and the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirits. Paul says in Romans 8 that we are the sons of God, that we are his child, that we belong to him. Well, let me wrap it up. Three questions I want to ask you this morning. Number one, question I've been asking myself. Number one, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Right now, at this moment, are you controlled by the Spirit of God? Number two, is there any way in which you have grieved or quenched him by the sin that's in your life? Three, are you willing to be filled with the Holy Spirit by repenting of those sins so that he can empower you? That's a deep question. I'll close with this statement and I'll pray. Charles Spurgeon said, even experienced Christians, that is people who have been Christians a long time, even experienced Christians without the Spirit of God are weak as water. Oh, my friend, I wonder sometimes, are we weak as water because we lack the filling of the Spirit of God? Let's pray. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.